Oscar, where's 1049 Park Avenue? This is 1049 Park Avenue! Can two divorced men share an apartment without driving each other crazy? Hello, and welcome to 1049 Park Avenue, an odd couple podcast. Ted Linhart, Garrett Eisler here. Today, we're going to talk about season five, episode 10, which is called Our, Our Fathers, that aired November 21st, 1974, and is available on Paramount+. Plus. Before we start, there's two points I want to bring up. <clears throat> we got an email, long email from a listener uh who went through a lot of points and one of the things he said was he thought i don't like dogs (laughs) because i don't like the dogs in the episodes particularly yeah yabsa what the hell is this what's the yabas yabas it's actually the opposite i really love dogs and i hate seeing them used in this show just for a short minute because i feel like the dog is scared and doesn't want to be there and it makes me uncomfortable to see pets on TV, on sets of movies and TV shows, just because I don't really know if they want to be there or not. And I feel much like I th- the, you are concerned much in the way Felix is over Silver the Wonder Dog. Yes. But I, yeah. So, you know, if there, if a, if a pet is part of a show for many years, I feel like it becomes to get to know that set as a family and it doesn't bother me like the dog on Frasier, but mm. For that, especially Yabas, where it's just brought in because, uh, and it was just a really bad, useless tag that makes no sense. Because they don't keep it. Because they don't keep it. It makes me uncomfortable. So I actually really love pets, and I hate seeing pets in any sort of, like, even if I'm making it up my head distress, I can't look at it. So that's why, and I seem that feel way with golden earrings and silver, like, and even the frog. Like, why do they have to bring so many pets on this show? <laughs> so that's that. Well, I'm uh, glad you cleared the set the record straight on that. Thank you. Um, and then we got a an email from somebody who gave us a, a found a website where Paul Williams actually talked about being on the episode that I never found. Wow. <clears throat> and here's what he said. He said, um, "I loved working with Jack and Tony. They were both charming and authentic, and so much like characters they played." Jack was gruff but sweet. We were already friends. And Tony was one of a kind, which I think is code for. (laughs) Yeah. Difficult. Difficult. (laughs) Uh, Never too big to make fun of himself. He was really demanding of the writers. Mm. He brought out the best in everyone. Again, code. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, He used to tell me I had to change my singing style, that I was pure (laughs) glottal shock. G-L-O. I think that. I think that's glottal stop, which is a vocal, a term in vocal uh, voice studies. Oh, we became friends at Hollywood Squares, and I still love them both. I wrote the song the day we shot the show, ah, which okay. is interesting because I didn't know one could do that. They kept changing the storyline, different endings, and I couldn't write the song till I knew where the plot was headed. It was great fun fun directed by my friend harvey miller who passed away last year have harvey actually used my story about going gliding with jimmy webb as the visual for the opening of the episode so we did go gliding which is not technically the opening of the episode but the right the clip that introduces paul williams yeah. entrance. yes so i guess well, he was well that's very nice to hear. yeah okay so who wrote this episode well it's funny you should ask ted because uh while the credits list a Martin Donovan, I think it's somewhat of a mystery who wrote this or who this Martin Donovan is, because IMDb, the IMDb entry for this writer is very confusing. Um, according to IMDb, this same Martin Donovan was born in Buenos Aires in 1950 under another name, and then somehow magically ended up in Hollywood as a 14-year-old writing for the, uh, uh, the sitcom The Farmer's Daughter and for The Occasional Wife and other late 60s TV shows. 
and then miraculously had a mid-career shift in the 1980s to writing quirky independent films like Apartment Zero from 1988, which I remember. I don't think they're the same person is what I'm suggesting. Um, and yet, and what complicates, so I try to find out who is our Martin Donovan. And that's of course confused by the fact that there is a somewhat well-known actor named Martin Donovan, who's been working for the last 30 years or so in independent film uh, television series. And it's not him either. Uh, so, uh, you know, if I, I may, if I'm inclined, I may uh, try to dig further into this because it seems like there's another Martin Donovan who would have been in his thirties or forties by the time, by the 1970s, at least who had a long career in sitcom writing and who just kind of disappeared off the map after the 1980s writing. And by the, again, I don't think it's the the Buenos Aires born independent film uh, auteur who went on after The Odd Couple to write Room 2020, Room 222, Chico and the Man, Alice, The Jeffersons, and The Love Boat, and Webster. Wait, you do think that the same person is the writer, just not the guy from Buenos Aires? Right, and not the, the well-admired well uh, contemporary actor, Martin Donovan. And the 25th anniversary book, shed no light on does this. not said just says his name as the credited name oh. so uh does not Maybe seems like a writer who worked a lot of worked a lot of times but is uh doesn't show up in any other google searches when i try to search someone of that background so it seems like someone perhaps known in the industry but never really maybe one of our listeners can help us maybe or maybe it's a secret nom de plume uh, like andre la plume oh yeah should I start with the I episode? I think I'm done with Okay, that. so the episode opens with the external of fake 1049 Park Avenue at night. The first scene is a visual gag. Uh, it's Oscar sitting at his desk typing. The typewriter appears to be a new, different typewriter than, in, I don't know if you noticed this in the past. It's red. I did not notice that. And it looks like smaller and less bulky than the old tan one that he used to have. He pulls out a can opener from his desk drawer, and then he opens another drawer looking for something. And then he opens that same canister that we saw in The Frog, where he took out a beer yes, and a sub right. sandwich. Sure, yes. Now he takes out a beer. Now, this beer apparently does not have a pop top because he uses the can opener to puncture the can like you would do before <laughs> the pop top was invented. And the beer spurts out everywhere like a geyser. I'd say it goes three to five feet in the air. Someone must have just... Yeah, shaking that can a moments before the camera must have put it in a paint shake, one of those paint shakers or something, you know. Uh, uh, he puts his mouth over the squirting stream to drink the beer and to prevent it from going everywhere. He takes his mouth off and it keeps spurting. He puts his hand on top of it. Finally, it stops and he uses a piece of paper he was typing with to mop up the beer that got on his desk. And then he puts the paper back in the typewriter and keeps working. <laughs> it's a very impressive stunt like it's yeah. clearly no cgi obviously it's like a practical right. stunt and it's impressive how it was done i think it's very elaborate and very rehearsed uh despite the i don't know how many beers they had to explode to do that but um i think what makes it really work also is klugman is just so nonchalant about yes. it all yes. as he's doing something that looks like he could get hurt even <laughs> at some point um it's it's also a funny reminder how like even here in season five this is like not relevant to the plot at all. It's just a way to, as I think we saw this last week too with Felix like cleaning up. It's like they keep looking for funny little bits of the neat and sloppy stuff to kind of keep the fans happy. I don't know. Now Felix walks in and Oscar says, Hey, old buddy. But we see Felix giving him a very angry look immediately. Oh. Oscar doesn't notice this. He says, How was your trip to Chicago? Felix says, Chicago was nice. Oscar says, yeah, did you have a good trip? Felix says, I ran into some cousins I haven't seen in a good many years. I learned something that you might find of considerable interest, my friend. Oscar says, they want you to move in with them, right? <laughs> and Felix says, uh, Felix actually now he has put his hand on the desk and he feels it's wet. And he says, don't make jokes. There's water all over. What is there, a drip here? He says this while he's looking up at the ceiling. Oscar says, yeah, I've been dripping all day. It's driving me crazy. Now he looks up. Felix says, this is terrible. Takes out a handkerchief to clean it up. Oscar says, tell me about your cousins. What did they say? 
Felix says, what does the name Blinky Madison mean to you? Oscar says, gee, that's familiar. Felix says, well, it ought to be. It was your father. Now, wait a minute. Not, I understand Blinky not making sense to him, but uh, you think he would, Madison would ring a bell. Well, I mean, I, I guess he doesn't remember. I guess he's thinking of Madison, <laughs> someone I should know, but he doesn't know right. Blinky Madison. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, uh, he says, oh, yeah, he used to blink a lot like that. And he would blink, Oscar blinks. That's why they called him Blinky. And Felix says, this isn't water. It smells like beer. Oscar says, it smells like beer to me too. Isn't that strange? Felix says, I know what you did, you slob. <laughs> and he points to the beer on the desk. I know what you did. Oscar says, oh, it, what's that? One of the many times Felix says some beer. Oh, yes. I yeah. know what you did. Oscar says, oh, it was an accident. Forget about that. Now, how did you know my father's name was Blinky? And Felix says, because your father tried to kill my father. Ba-ba! And then they probably, stared. Probably the best cliffhanger line of the opening that we've had. And they stare at each other over that yeah. musical bed. Yeah. Um, so we'll play the clip that starts the show after that. I guess we should acknowledge that probably of any episode, this is the one that has the biggest problems with timelines or it causes the biggest problems. challenges, let's say. <laughs> and we'll go into some of that math. I'm sure there's a wormhole one could dive into uh, of, of, of all the issues here. We have a little bit of it, enough to make the point. Um, and actually, here's what's surprising. There's less problems than I expected. Fewer problems. Fewer <laughs> yes. problems. Right. When I actually right. started to do out the math, I thought yeah. it'd be crazy, and it wasn't that crazy. I agree. There are fewer problems with this chronology than with other episodes. Yeah. Especially, for instance, uh, here's Grandpa. Or where's Grandpa? <laughs> so, all right. So we're now going to play the clip that comes right after the opening titles. I didn't even know my father knew your father. I thought he led a happy life. Hey, watch it, buddy. <laughs> Say anything you like about me or my mother, but no cracks about my father. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Tell me the story. I'm very interested. My father was a wonderful man. He was an optometrist. <laughs> what are you laughing at? What was your father? My father was a maker deal at a big restaurant. Some restaurant where they don't serve food. What does that mean? Sit down. I'm going to tell you a story that will curl your hair. My father, Morris Unger, was the most beloved man in Chicago. Your father, Blinky Madison, ran a speakeasy. That was long ago when Chicago was really wild. It was the jazz age when folly was king and crime sat in the driver's seat. try to explain that scene um so over felix's description of chicago we see a still image of the wrigley building which opened in 1924 so that makes sense <clears throat> they zoom in on that image and then we see some 1920s automobiles 
with Tommy guns being shot out of them, <laughs> crashing yeah. into garbage cans and <laughs> crashing into Clearly another car. Clearly not filmed for the odd couple. Yes, they're crashing into garbage cans and they're crashing into another car and exploding. I think this is footage from The Untouchables, oh, the TV yeah. show, because it's a Paramount series. Well, there you go. And it seems like something... It's the, this is the whole... This is what they're depicting. Right, which, of course, that's relevant later. Uh, we see the outside of the speakeasy, and then inside we see a woman dancing and hear her singing. That's the one we heard singing. Her name's Lucy. She's played by Barbara Rhodes and her second odd couple appearance. She was the attractive patient in the therapist's office for the group therapy scene. You know, I, I knew I'd seen her in something, some episode, but I didn't know that was her. I yes. Now, she, I was just looking up. She's singing a song called Who's Your Little yep. Who's This? Yep. But according to what I'm looking at here, that was, was that? Oh, I see. I was, it was, I guess Dean Martin sang it, but it was from 1932 is what I see. Right, right. Yeah, he did not do the uh, Martin and Lewis. Yes. Uh, it was in one of their movies later, but it so is, it's, right. It's Seems an early. A, a, a 1932 film, but which does but still probably not public domain at the time. No, when I see 1931, it was actually played first in 1931. So, um, so she's singing that. I think it's a little hard to hear, but at one point she, and this is, this, this is a, there's a payoff to this later. She can't dance well. Like she's having trouble dancing to the song. And um, Blinky says, try it without the gum because she's chewing gum i guess the act of chewing gum and dancing throws you off she can't dance and chew gum at the same time so she takes the gum and puts it in behind her ear which <laughs> comes up later and then she is able to dance uh by the way there's a lot of returning guest performers in this episode yeah more than i remembered yeah blinky in the comes out in the in the scene uh, this is jack klugman without his toupee uh mm -hmm. similar kind of looking kind of what he looked like uh, in the prior flashback episode, cleanliness, I think it was the cleanliness is next to impossible. Yes, the flash, right. Except that he has a, in that, he had a giant, first of all, that was set in the 50s. That's, we'll <laughs> talk about that later. Yeah. But he has a, he had a giant mustache in this episode, which he does not, in that episode, oh, which he okay. does not have here. Okay. Um, but it is funny to think this is the, I mean, a little roughed up maybe, but this is basically the real Jack Clickman in 1974. Uh, and you realize what a good hair piece he had. Yes, and the fact that he's he's willing to show it multiple mm -hmm. yeah, times, true, yeah. I think, is is interesting. We talked about this before. Um, Bugsy, who is the kind of sidekick who calls Winky Boss, is played by Louis Gus, one of our favorites. The great. Yeah. This is making his fourth or fifth appearance, including the one that Louis never see. had. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the police commissioner, who he refers to. It's played by a guy named Hank Robinson, who was a minor league baseball player, an MGM security guard, and then became a professional extra player, uh, especially in Westerns. <laughs> so that's the end of that scene, unless you had something you want to say about it. No. Okay, so the next scene, uh, we zoom in on a photo of a street scene that looks more... If you look at it really closely, it looked to me more like 1890s or mm. 1900s because I saw a lot of horse carriages and people <laughs> dressed up in yeah, yeah. more 1890s, 1900s garb. I think they're using like all kinds of file footage for the, this show. Yeah. The point of the reason they use this is because there's a big ad for an optometrist in mm. this on the building in this scene. So it's a way of kind of introducing the fact that we're about to go into Morris Unger's office because that's Felix's father. We hear jazz piano playing, and we see a sign that says Morris Unger Optometrist, and we see Tony Randall as Morris. Now, his hair is slicked back. According to what everyone says, he is wearing a toupee in The Odd Couple, and he's not here in this scene. It's not as obvious to me that's true, but I'll, I, I well, guess I do true. remember, you know, when we showed the clip of, uh, of, of my old friend Edward Greenbaum, the writer who knew Tony Randall on Peep, Mr. Peeper's, he tells the story of seeing him again at the odd couple and noticing that he had, but he described him as having like plugs, like having some work done to cover up his bald spot. Uh, so it's, but uh, if, so if he did, it's, it, it was a milder kind of adjustment. You do see, yeah, you do see that. a bald spot here on Morris that I guess we don't see on Felix, but it's not as obvious that no. he's losing his hair like Jack Klugman is. Um, he says goodbye to another patient. And he says, all right, Mr. Belson, you take care of those eyes and look mm. care of you, obviously referring to Jerry Belson. Oh, I did not notice that. Good catch. Uh, 
And with okay, so we're so in a in a new format for the show. Garrett's going to do one of the uh, quotes because he wants to do anything that Morris says. The role of Morris Unger. Yeah, in this performance, will be played by Tony Randall's understudy, Garrett Eisler. Uh, so when the door opens to let out this older patient, we see Blinky sitting in the waiting room, and Morris says, "And Morris all says, right, all right, all right, Mr. Belson, you take care of those eyes, and I'll take care of you." Oh, sorry, you're right. I I I, I quoted a line that you ne- shouldn't have. Then Morris says, "Next, come right in, sir. What is what is your name, sir?" Madison. Mr. Madison. Alrighty. Now, what seems to be the trouble, Mr. Madison? So now Morris has taken out a pen that has a screw top and he starts to write on a yellow pad. Now I was sure that I was going to catch them up in an anachronism here because I didn't believe the yellow legal pad existed. But when you actually look up the history of the legal pad, they were created at the turn of the century. And it's not clear exactly when or why yellow came into play. So I can't prove that there should not have been a yellow pad. I'm curious about the pen too. What you said? It, well, there's. It did not look like the Re- way a retractable. It was not. It was oh, not retractable. Okay. It was. It was. He was a screw top pen. He was oh. clearly unscrewing it and screwing it. Oh, so okay. I That's... think both of those actually were. I can't. They either were correct or I can't prove they're not correct. So Blinky says, "Well, I can't see through little openings at night." And Moore starts to write this down and says, "Can't see through little openings at night." Tell me. Can you arrange your schedule so you can look through these little openings during the daytime? No, they're closed during the day. Closed during day. What seems to be the trouble with your eyes? Well, I blink a lot. See, they call me Blinky. Uh Uh-huh. Well, uh, we'll change that moniker, won't we? Sit down, sit down. Now, Morris walks over to an area where there's an eye vision test and a desk of liquids and uh, equipment. Now, there's a sight gag that you could see on the eye vision test. But I think if you don't know the episode, it goes by too fast. If you do know the episode, you can see the, the, the joke that will come up later. Uh, we also see in the back of Morris's doctor's coat, there's a drawing of a big, op- a big open blue eye, which the audience loves. Uh, and we'll start the clip from there with the reveal of this big blue eye in the back of Morris's coat. You mean on my back? Yeah. Yes, my son Felix thought of that. Clever kid. Yes, seven years old. I don't know how he finds the time. But with school and Boy Scouts and piano lessons and cooking three meals a day. (laughs) Tell me, do you have children? Yes, I have a boy seven too. Ah, what are his interests? Horses. Horses. He rides? No, handicaps. Uh (laughs) Eyes of blue say I love you. Eyes of brown never frown. Your son again? Yes, my son made that up. I tell you, he's a pip. He's a pip. All right, let's look at the eye chart, shall we? Can you read the top line? I. Next. L-O. Next. V-Y. Very good. Next. O-U-D. Next. A-D-D-Y. All right. Now read it all together. I love you, Dad. Yes. My son made that up, too. The pip. Yes, yes. Oh, that boy, I tell you. Well, there's not much wrong. We'll have you fixed up in a jiffy. Nothing much to worry about. Oh, thanks. Now, listen, if you're ever in my neighborhood, look me up. Will you? I'll show you a good time. I should be delighted. Good. Here you are. Was that a prescription? Yes. Take that to your grocer. <laughs> Eat a bunch of carrots a day? That's right. You have a little night blindness, vitamin A deficiency. Carrots will fix that up. A carrot a day keeps the optometrist away. I made that one up myself. You're a pip too, huh? Yeah. Pops a pip. Yeah. You're gonna need glasses, so let's try these on precise. Oh, no, we? no, 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 no. No glasses. I'm not gonna wear glasses and my friends laugh at me. No, Nobody sir. laughs at glasses in this day and age. Come on, let's try them on. Anybody laughs at you, you just send them to see me. <laughs> So, of course, Blinky, uh, Morris is laughing after Blinky tries on some glasses, which, by the way, are the same glasses that Morris is wearing. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's talk a little math. So both Felix and Oscar are seven here. As a, mentioned by their fathers. 
Yes. And according to Vocal Girl Makes Good, Oscar is 40 in 1974 because of the fake newspaper headlines. So that would mean he's not, well, as you'll see, he's not born yet, if that were true. Uh, right. Well, okay, let's keep going. So uh, so that makes 40, Felix also 40 in 1974. Well, you're right. This is, this is claiming they are the same age. So now, according to this episode, this has to take place sometime between 1929 and 1933, because Herbert Hoover's president, we'll hear that later. Right. Also, given the addition of that song now and prohibition, of course, that actually narrows it to 1931 to 1933. Uh, so let's assume it's 1933. Like it's the latest it could be. So that would make them 48 in 1974. Um, but what were you saying about not being born when? What? Oh, you say yes. If they were 40 in 1974, they couldn't be born in 19 During the Hoover administration. Yes, yes, right. So they would actually be 48 in 1974. They'd also be too young to fight in World War II, mm-hmm. which they were apparently did as old. Apparently, older. at least Felix did. Yes. Many times. Um, Although yeah, okay. I feel like Oscar has also said he was in World War II. Oscar's military record is a little vaguer about whether could it could I've always, it's very, so vague that Sometimes I've thought it could mean Korea or that he just did service, you know, in his youth. Uh, but anyway, continue, please. If this was 1929, they would be 52 in 1974 and still too young to fight in World War II. Well, not necessarily, Ted, because, um, see, this is interesting, because I think if, you, if, you, if we say it's 1929 yeah. and they were seven, that means they were born around 1922. And guess what? Jack Klugman really was born in 1922. Yeah. Oh, you're right. It so, wouldn't make them too young to fight in World War II. You're right. But and 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 that would mean they would be like, yeah, they by the they, on Pearl even on Pearl Harbor Day they well let's see well wait a minute what am I saying yeah even on Pearl Harbor they would be like 19. So um, no, wait a second. Oh yes, yes, right. Yeah, yeah. Keep going. If it's yeah, I think even I mean you could make the case even if it's 1933, they're born in. Uh, 26 they could have been to 19 at the very end of well, the war actually yes yeah, sorry I, I think i made a mistake here if they were seven in 1933 they would be 18 in 1944 so right. technically they could have fought in world war ii right. so which I think, again which makes this like sort of yes, in the ballpark yes of- right that's one of the sorry i i i can't I think i did some math where i thought they were born in 1933 instead of there being seven <laughs> so let's let's yes let's let's recap reset reset if they're born in, I feel like 1933 is, is a good idea of when this year, this was taking place. Uh, although the depression would have happened. In yeah, 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 right. This yeah. also seems to be pre-depression in a way, kind of. And certainly, well, prohibition basically, and prohibition ends, as you know, uh, right when Roosevelt becomes president in 1933. So. Well, either way, th- one thing's for sure, this episode says neither of them were 40 in 1974, no matter what. Right. But it does indicate there's a possibility they could have fought in World War II as, as uh, at the end of World War II as very young men. And again, if it's 1929, then Oscar is Jack Klugman's age. Right, which we know is Randall, not for- Randall, for the record, was born two years, is two years older than Klugman. So still close enough. But still making them 50 in the show, not 40. Yes, yeah. right. Uh, okay, I hope that wasn't too confusing because I feel like <laughs> I screwed that up a little bit. But again, uh, if they're seven in 1933, they'd be 18 in 1944. And if they're seven in 1929, they would have been 22 in 1944. So eligible to fight. All right, I'm going to move on. Good. Math is math is clear, not art. This is not this is not what this podcast is yes. about. Now. All right. So the next scene is a seat. We see a sepia tone scene of a street, and looks like a milk delivery horse and carriage vehicle. We see Blinky eating a carrot, which still has the greens attached. By the way, wearing his glasses, <laughs> inside the speakeasy, we hear piano music, jazz music. He's standing by the entrance with Louis Gus's Bugsy. There's a knock at the door and Bleaky says he will get it. He opens the people and says it's okay. He opens the people and says it's okay. And he lets in a couple. Bugsy says, boss, since you got those glasses, you haven't made one mistake. Blinky say, yeah, but ain't it all, but it ain't all great. Today I got the first good look at my kid Oscar's room. And then he makes a noise. 
which I'm just going to play because I can't really replicate it. Here's the noise he makes after referring to Oscar's room. Uh, I'm going to play it one more time. So the door knocks again. Bugsy now gets it, and it's Morris. And Morris says, Hi there, is this the Madison residence? Bugsy says, what? Well, no, Bugsy says, what? Blinky says, wait a minute, I'll get it. Hey, how you doing? I see you can see me. Bugsy, uh, Blinky says, I'm sure, I sure can now. It's my eye doctor. Come on in. And he lets Morris in, and Morris says, Well, 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 looks like you're having a party. Blinky says, yeah, well, I kind of have a party every night. And now Morris has taken off his hat, and he seems to be acknowledging the crowd with it. What do you call that move he was doing? He was kind of like... Well, it's kind so, of like a politician, kind of yeah, the crowd. Yeah, right. As if he's like a like special guest. It's a little bit like Felix on New Year's <laughs> Eve. Yeah. Um, and Morris says, Well, if I had a wonderful playroom like this in my basement, I think I would do. So Blinky tells Bugsy, a ringside table for my friend. And Morris says, Well, I, I should have telephoned before I came over. Your specs, how are they feeling? Blinky says, great. I take them off. I start blinking. I put them on. I see great. And I don't blink anymore. You look very handsome in them. So now a chair is brought to a table. Blinky tells him to sit down. And before he does, Morris acknowledges the crowd again with his arm. Blinky asks him, what would he... I, by the way, I feel like those two things were ad-libbed at the last minute. Yeah, maybe. I think the joke is that he's like... Well, first of all, he's like, he's Mr. Friendly, like Felix. And But of course, the joke is no one cares. <laughs> right. <laughs> But I still feel like it would do you, I feel like Tony Randall did that and it wasn't in the script. Oh, do you think yeah, I think I think Tony Randall is responsible for a lot of what this character does. Um, so Blinky asks Morris what he would like to drink. Well, I think a little iced tea wouldn't do any harm. And Blinky says, good idea. A little tea for my friend. The best stuff, mostly tea. <laughs> so Blinky sits down with Morris now at the table and Morris says, Looks like a jolly crowd. Say, speaking of fun, you should have been at the optometrist convention this year. We held it in Cleveland. Oh boy. I tell you, we really let our hair down. We chartered our own train. The bifocal local. We had a hot one going around. Stop me if you've heard this one. The cross-eyed teacher who couldn't keep our pupils straight. And now Blinky makes a face indicating how bad a joke this is. Oh, I tell you, the sky was the limit. So now Bugsy brings over a glass with liquid in it, and Blinky gives it to Morris and says, bottoms up, Doc. And that leads to uh, this next clip. Oh, boy, isn't that different? Yeah, nothing but the best. Very good. Mm. It's tangy. Good. It's tangy. I never tasted this before. Where do you get this stuff? We imported it from Tennessee. Is that a fact? Yeah, I came last night. Is that a fact? Yes, sir. Excuse me for a minute, will you? Lucy, I'd like you to meet a very dear friend of mine. This is Dr. Runger. This is Lucy. Show him a very good time. Be very nice to him. Sit down. Have a good Lucy. time, Mo. Come here. A doctor, huh? Yes. You make house calls? No. Oh, well, then we'll just have to get acquainted right here, huh? Uh, what do they call you, Dr. Unger? They call me Dr. Unger. No, no, I mean your nickname. You know, like they call me Luce, short for Lucy. Mm -hmm. Well, they call me Professor, they call me Shakespeare, they call me Four Eyes and things of that nature. Well, I think you're the cat's meow. Could I be your kitten? Loose. Before you fall in love with me, I want to know that I have a, um, a, um, what's the word I want, um, Wife. I have a wife. Gee, I'm sorry. Uh, how would you like to dance? That might be a first-rate suggestion. Let's go. 
you a drink, sir. You want to buy me a drink? I'm a federal agent. For the last time, this is a raid. Oh, come on. We look, everybody's having a good time. You want to spoil their fun? I work for the government. It's my job to spoil the people's fun. It's the big boss. President Hoover? No, the big boss. Hi, boss. Good evening, Blinky. Who is the gentleman with the badge? Oh, he's a Fed. Any Fed of the government is a Fed of mine. <laughs> hey, that's pretty good, boss. That's very good, that's Very good. What's the matter with him? Why isn't he laughing? Well, it's a raid. Did you offer him our hospitality, a drink? Yeah, he said no. It appears we're dealing with an honest man. You sure are. Well, under the circumstances, will that uh, take care of things for a little while? Forever. <laughs> Come on over to the park. Did you see that? Sure, now with these glasses, I see everything. Man accepted a bribe. Oh, I wouldn't exactly call it a bribe. He took a great deal of money for not doing his job, according to Webster's unabridged dictionary. Stop fondling. This is serious. <laughs> it's a bribe. All right. Bribe. That man should be reported. All right. Tell him. There's the commissioner. <laughs> that is the police commissioner. Yeah. Tell him. And he's in on it too. Dr. Runga, everybody's in on it except you. Now have some fun. I want to see a smile on everybody's kissing now. Lucy, will you show them a good time? Relax, talk, enjoy yourself. Am I the last moral man left in the world? Well, I'm moral. Then why don't you do something? I don't get off till four. <laughs> So there's an innuendo there that was a slow build to the laugh that I'm surprised it got through when she said, I'm loose for Lucy. They oh. called me loose. <laughs> right. Um, so in the episode, uh, Lucy starts to kiss Morris's ear and neck, and then they start dancing. And when the audience applauds, it's Felix and Lucy, sorry, it's Morris and Lucy are dancing with one leg bending at the knee quickly what type i couldn't figure out yeah. is there a name to uh, that dance or is that just something well i'm not enough of an expert to to identify it but it clearly is similar to the charleston which is would be the stereotypical dance you would have in a scene like this and the charleston does feature it, they're doing kind of this backwards uh kick you know that they're bending the knee back kicking the foot kicking the foot back um and that's a feature of the Charleston dance. So I think it's kind of a modified Charleston. But what's it's also like a very stiff, like what's funny is the way Tony Randall does it. His whole body is stiff, except for his his foot that keeps kicking back to trying to do what she's doing. They're like the mirror image of each other. And then he starts hopping. Then he starts hopping, which is really funny. And at the end, even though, you know, when he says, when he tells her not to molest him, that's the word he uses, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, they start. He she starts to want to dance with him again, and again, it, it takes a few beats, but then he starts dancing with her once again. He can't help it, right? And also, but I also love when the when when the G man says it's a raid. Everyone, he's the only one who stops dancing, and he's like puts his hands up, and she's everyone is still dancing around him. Uh, speaking of that G man, it's Billy Sands who we Once just, again. just saw again in the Subway episode, and this is his final appearance. On He's been in a lot since Dr. Roger Doctor. Uh, the big boss is played by Giorgio Tozzi. Tozzi. Tozzi, who was an opera singer, a Broadway star, including Tony nominated for the Most Happy Fella. Which I saw. In 1980? Yep. And by the way, that, I think, did we mention this before? That is, a, there's a whole episode of I, Lucy about Most Happy Fella, because I believe- the original Lucy, would have been in the 50s, yeah. They, I believe they invested in it. Oh, wow. Um, didn't know there was a tie-in. A whole, whole episode about it. It's in the later. But Giorgio Tutsi, right, did a Broadway revival of that in, I guess, wow. It's in 1980, according to what I read. Early 80s, I, I saw it. But uh, I was a mere child. And the singing, that singing skill will pay off in a bit. Yes. He also did Funny some... enough, he is, uh, I looked him up, you know, I was curious. He is, he's actually born in Chicago. Oh, 
and he's Italian American, not uh, Italian Italian. And he has done a few other TV roles, including show, including such shows as Beretta, Kojak, and Knight Rider. But yet another opera singer recruited by Tony Randall. Uh, in this case, in a weird role, but in a kind of refreshing, right? Like we don't have to shoehorn in an opera singer for some reason into the plot. Instead, he's the gangster. And he works. I mean, as the gangster, he works. Yeah, he's very good, good at it. Yeah. So the next scene, Morris walks back into his office. He sits down. He picks up the phone, which is an old style 1920s phone with the single uh, headset that he has to hold. Separate earpiece and uh, microphone. Yeah. And he says, Hello, Central. Give me the police. Police? Good morning, Sergeant. My name is Dr. Morris Unger. No, don't write that down. I want this to be an anonymous call. What I'm about to tell you will blast this town wide open, but it must never reach the ears of your police commissioner because he is in on it. And then we see the sergeant hand the phone to the police commissioner, and Morris says... Sergeant, I know I speak for every honest man in this town when I say I am fed up to here. My hand is under my chin with corruption in high places. How can I teach my son to respect the law when those sworn to uphold it confound it? And at this point, we see the commissioner, he's smiling and he's nodding while listening to it. And I've always thought that that is just a really bad acting choice. Apparently, he is not really a a real actor. No, it's just... It's really bad. But he looks good for the part. He kind yes. of looks like a sleazy. <laughs> right. But he's not. Happy. Whatever should have been conveyed there is not done well. The sergeant who hands on the phone is played by Jack Clinton, who has 52 uncredited credits on TV shows and movies, but not a Quincy. Not Quincy. Oh. The next scene, we're back in the modern day 1970s living room. And, living room, and Oscar says he squealed. So that's why my father wanted to kill your father. Felix says, no, that came later. After my father did what any good citizen would do, that got your father in deep that got your father in deep water. The big boss was furious. So the next day, now we go back to the flashback. We have the fuzzy screen and the flashback music. We're back in the speakeasy, and we see the big boss with Lucy on his lap, and he's kissing her neck. And the big boss says, Okay, baby, that's enough. That's enough. Get lost. And he basically pushes her off of him, and she walks away confused. He rubs his face and says, how come every time I kiss her on the neck, I get gum on my nose? Which is, of course, the callback to the ear. Behind her ear, right? Yeah. So now Blinky comes in eating a carrot. He says, hi, boss, you wanted to see me. The big boss says, 20 minutes ago. Blinky says, 20 minutes ago? That's when you called me. The boss says, that's when I wanted to see you. Blinky says, I'm sorry, I'm late, boss. And he says, the boss says, sit down. Your friend, Dr. Ungor, squealed about our little club here. And Blinky says he did. The big boss says, yeah, you know my rule about squealers. Blinky says they die. (laughs) Big boss says, yeah, that's one of my best rules. And Blinky says, who's going to kill him? And the big boss says, we're going to draw straws. So the big boss picks up three straws. And two of the other guys pull first. And he actually moves Blinky's hand out of the way. So that Blinky pulls third. But what's left is just a short straw in his palm. I think the idea of pulling a short straw is you're supposed to see the three straws sticking <laughs> out and then you pull the Same, one, but, right. but this is clearly obviously rigged. Um, and then he, he pulls out, um, he says, it looks like you're it, Blinky. And he, pulls, he puts a gun on the table for Blinky to use. And that leads to this clip. Oh, wait a minute, boss. Look, when it comes to cutting the booze or patting somebody's bill, I'm the terrific one, but I can't really. I never killed anybody in my life. That's not all right, all right, all right. You don't want the gun? No, sir. Thank you. All right, then I'll just give you the bullet. I'll take it all. Get going. And Blinky. Yeah? Just in case you lose your nerve or you change your mind, I'm going to send a real pro from Detroit along with you. Heel! This is the heel. Heel? He's not nice to ladies, huh? Not that kind of heel. Sean. Sean. He kills people with his shoe. With his shoe? That's pretty funny. <laughs> it's not so funny. <laughs> and you better do a good job or you'll wind up in the river with a pair of cement galoshes. In the river? In the river. But, boss, I'm not the right guy for the job. 
So during the scene, the big boss and, and Blinky keep pushing the gun back and forth on the table. It's a bit, bit of a visual gag. I don't remember that old man river singing from the, from watching it on TV. Do you? Oh. Well, I, no, I can't place it. I, uh, I mean, I can't, I don't remember this episode in as much detail for all those years, but I do, I think it must've, because I, if you knew Giorgio Topsi was an opera singer, you would have, I would, as I did, I would have been surprised that he did. You sing. did at 10? Oh, because no, you... saying, well, I saw him on that. I mean, not the first time I saw this, but by the time I was watching it at reruns in the eighties and nineties, I, I, I don't remember that bit. I, yeah, I'm not surprised. I must've seen it because I'm not surprised when I see him singing it now. I, I remember it. Yeah. Wait, but, so I, you... but there were the two different sets of edits. as I keep saying at some point there was one syndication edit and that then they changed the edits at some point in syndication. So I'm talking about the 19 early 1980s WPIX version that we watched in New York. I don't remember this. Moment. Well, it's possible. Well, look, this Old Man River is like one of the most famous songs that they've done in the show. And so if you're going to you're going to get out of paying the rights for anything. It would be this song, which is a huge song. So that was written in 1927 um, for, show, for the musical Showboat. But so when these DVDs were put out, I don't think they were in the public domain. No, today, I don't. I can't believe Old Man River is in public domain. So yeah. it would be next year because anything before 19, yeah. 1927 or earlier next year is public domain because yeah. it's 1926 this year or it's anything before 1927 this year. So I guess they paid it. Maybe the, maybe it's not that expensive a, a song. Uh, so Heel is played by Elijah Cook Jr., who's obviously recognizable enough to get applause. Although it does surprise, it always surprised me a little bit how much applause he gets because yes, people know his face, but he's not like a household name. Are you surprised by the, we'll talk about no, his career you know in a second. Why? Because, and I know you're going to go into his many, many credits, but yeah. because of the Maltese Falcon, uh, his role in the Maltese Falcon, which is not a large role, but uh, it's very memorable and and that's why he's in this because even though Maltese Falcon is not is a 1940s film noir, it's not 1920s prohibition, but it's it's one of the it's one of the most famous gangster movies. It's a gangster film. He plays a gangster at least in the Maltese Falcon, and so in a way, it's like a perfect casting if you recognize him from that. So he takes off his shoe, which has a big silver hue on it in the in the show, and he hits a table, and all the leaves collapse. That's that's the gag, and it's a little bit odd job like. It is funny, right? It's kind of out of place. It's more of James Bond, right? So Elijah Cook was born in 1903. He started in a vaudeville and stage when he was 14. He started appearing in movies in 1930. He's got 220 different movie and TV credits. Notable roles include Wilmer and the Maltese Falcon. He was in The Big Sleep. He was in Shane. And then on TV, he was in many shows. I'm going to list a few of them. Alfred Hitchcock, Peter Gunn, The Fugitive, Wagon Train, Rawhide, Perry Mason, Gunsmoke, Star Trek. Man from Uncle, Batman, Bonanza, SWAT, Starsky and Hutch Beretta, two Quincy's, yeah. the Salem Lot miniseries, which was a big deal in 78, 79, one of those two years, Night Court, The A-Team, Simon and Simon, and he was on 13 episodes of Magnum P.I. recurring as Francis Icepick Hofstetler, <laughs> who was a German-American loan shark and major underworld figure from Chicago and Rick Wright's father figure. No way. Who, which one is Rick Wright? Rick, I think, was Rick. Isn't that the Larry Manetti's character was Rick? Oh, okay. I never watched the show. But, but because I never watched the show, I had no idea that Elijah Cook Jr. was on Magnum, was a regular on Magnum PR. Oh, recurring. Recurring, okay. That's amazing. But as a gangster, right? See that. Well, I feel like he was a... I, I, don't, I don't watch the show either, so I feel like he may have been a, a hero in the show, maybe, you know, or like one of those villains kind of, but who did good. I'm guessing. Okay. And Elijah Cook died in 1995. Wow, what a long life and career. He also was uh, another famous uh, crime movie he was in was uh, Stanley Kubrick's The Killing in the 1950s. The next scene, we're back at Morris's office. Blinky and Heel walk in, but they see a sign that says that Morris is out to lunch and won't be back until two o'clock. And the Heel says, you're right on time. Make it fast, Blinky. And Blinky says, Heel, do me a favor. Wait out in the hall. Heel says, what for? Blinky says, well, I'm a little nervous. It's the first time I've ever bumped anyone off. Heel says, oh, sure, I understand. 
Blinky says, yeah, wait in the hall and cool your heel. Heel, singular, right? Morris now comes in and he sees heel walk out of the office with a limp. And that leads us to uh, this clip. I think you're in the wrong office. You want a podiatrist. Try Dr. Scholl, two doors down. He's young, but he's very good. Well, Mr. Madison, I'm tickled to death to see you. I have a confession to make. I owe you an apology. I'm the one who phoned the police about your speakeasy. I'm sorry, but I squeaked on you. That squealed. Well, whatever. I, I'm not conversant with gutter lingo. I hope you're not angry with me. No, no, no. I'm not angry with you, Doc. And there's something I have to tell you. I hope you're not going to be angry with me. Why should I be angry with you? I'm going to kill you. Well, I'm not angry. I'm disappointed. <laughs> this is a joke, isn't it? Some sort of hoodlum humor? No, I don't want to kill you, but the boss gave me orders. You mean you're really going to do it? You're just going to come in here and kill me without an appointment? Yep. <laughs> That's a gun. You got good eyes, Doc. It's a real gun that shoots bullets. It doesn't shoot water or go bang, bang. Oh, yeah, see, here's where the serial number was filed off and everything. Yes, well, everything certainly seems to be in order. <laughs> Try not to make too much of a mess. Would it be all right if I answered my telephone? All right, Doc, but I got your call, okay? Goodbye. <laughs> I mean, hello. Hello, Felix. It's my son. What are you doing, son? Helping Grandma make bouillabaisse. <laughs> Isn't that remarkable? What? Well, of course, she's going to spill something every now and then. She's getting old, son. Don't let that make you angry. Tell you what, why don't you use that nice new sponge I gave you for your birthday? Good. I love you, too. Goodbye. Where were we? I can't do it. Fine. Tell you what. The coffee's on me. You don't understand, Doc. I may not have the guts to kill you, but there's a guy on the hall that can. They call him the heel because he kills people with his shoe. You mean that poor little fellow with the limp? Yeah. Listen, if I don't shoot you, he's going to tap dance you to death. Well, you've got that gun. Why don't you shoot him? Because I can't shoot anybody. If I could, I would shoot you. It would make it easier on me. Give me the gun. What? I'll show you how to do it. Wow. You're a cool cucumber, all right, aren't you? You don't get to the top of the eye game without nerves of steel. <laughs> show your little friend in. Okay. The doctor will see you now. Are you still alive? You can bet the cuck-eyed world I'm still alive, you two-bit punk. Finally met your match, didn't you? I guess you never came up before an optometrist before. Give me the gun. Fat chance, bimbo. And hand it over shoot to him, me. Shoot him, shoot him, shoot him. Don't come any closer. Please. I'll give you a dollar. Oh, heck, I can't shoot him. Nerves of steel. But you should talk. If you shot me the way you were supposed to, we wouldn't be in this mess. All right, Gunsel, make it fast. I can't do it. Well, what do you know? He's the same as we are. Oh, I should do it for saying that. <laughs> hey, you guys get out of town before you blow my cover. What cover? I'm a federal agent. Wow. A G-man. Now, you guys hide away and then leave town. And don't come back for 25 years. 25 years? Why, I'll miss the World's oh, Fair. Get that with you. <laughs> Listen, young man. I'm glad you're on our side. I didn't get your name. Ness. Elliot Ness. Elliot Ness. Remember that name. That is the dumbest, the most unbelievable story I ever heard in my life. Were your cousins on the sauce when they told you that story? You're scoffing. Of course I'm scoffing. Things like that used to happen in those uh, days. What are you... I'm going to show you something that will make a true believer out of you. Nothing. It's impossible. I this can't believe that is a family heirloom. <laughs> this doesn't prove anything. That story never happened. Look. 
would do it. There's another reference there. It puts this around 1933 or so. The Chicago World's Fair was in 1933. So, ah, so maybe, we're like before that. Yes, right. Which could have been beginning of 33, end of 32. So at the end, Felix hands Oscar the heel, and that's when Oscar says it never happened. He hits the table with it, and the table falls apart. Must be the same table they had in the <laughs> right. In the bar, yeah. um, so obviously, ironically, Elliot Ness and Elijah Cook were both born in 1903. Oh. But of course, in the 1920s, <laughs> Elijah Cook right. was Elijah Cook in this episode is 71. So in 19 19- looks it and looks right, it looks it. But the real Ness <laughs> was in his 20s. Ness. Yeah. Ness did join the Treasury Department in 1926 and was working with the Bureau of Prohibition in Chicago during all of this time. So that makes sense. And he, of course, was the main character on which the, of course is the story of the Untouchables. Right, right, which is where the footage comes from. Uh, so now we have a tag, which is actually, I'd say, one of the more involved tags that mm-hmm. we've ever we have because it's actually it's a flashback and it's like a, a big, you know, it's not to seem like a throwaway. It's a biggie. It's a biggie. All it's right, a so biggie. We'll play the tag. Now, maybe you'll believe me. It was because of that that both our families had to leave town. Mine went to Oklahoma and yours went to New York. But first, they had to hide out in a hotel for several days. In a hotel? Yeah. Hotel. Felix, do you have a pair of knickers, corduroy, that whistle when you walk? I used to when I was a kid. I've still got them. Those were my favorite knickers. You're the one. Fun. Don't you remember uh, we met? When? When we were kids. So in this clip, Jack Klugman's real life son Adam is again playing young Oscar, which he also the played second time, right? In almost the exact same outfit, although that was set in the 1950s, which is actually a little more difficult to swallow than this. <laughs> so I, which just, I, now yeah. let's just let's nail this down, right? Because the other episode you're referring to is cleanliness. Cleanliness is, is cleanliness is impossible. Is next impossible? Yeah, right. and that is the episode that says he's for that says Oscar Madison celebrates 40 years of yeah, swapping. yeah. Um, and so in the context of that episode, that makes me realize now, I don't know if we said this at the time, but even in the context, you, you identify that as the fifties in that clip, because you, you could identify some props or something. Yes. Right. So, so that sorry. doesn't mean. Wait, sorry. Jump. Wait, I want to correct one thing. Yeah. It's vocal, vocal girl makes good where it says he's 40, because that's when the oh, woman comes in to bring him the birthday okay. cake. The, you know why I confuse him though? It's Phyllis. because Phyllis. Yes. Right. right. It's Phyllis. That's what made me so realize. Phyllis it. believes he's 40. Yes. Well, <laughs> yes. Right. Go ahead. And, keep going. But if he were 40 in 1973 or four, he would, uh, he would not be seven in the 1950s. He would. Yeah. No. And Adam Klugman is, I mean, I'm just, the two Adam Klugman appearances, he is a, a he looks to be the same age in each appearance. Yeah, because not that they far were apart. Filmed like less than a year apart. So he's Another wearing. Another similarity is that I think the bits he's doing in the bed with the yes, soda and all that. That's what about are very to say. Similar yes. to the, yeah. So let me say, so he's wearing almost the same outfit. He's got a baseball cap and a, that gray sweatshirt. The baseball cap looks different. The gray sweatshirt looks like the same sweatshirt. And it's the same bit. Here, he's reading the racing form first. And it looks like an authentic racing form prop, like not something they made up. Um, I try to look at what year it said it is, but I couldn't see it. So he puts that down. Then he picks up a sub sandwich from the bed. He picks up a soda bottle, shakes it, opens it with a bottle opener, and that spills over his sweatshirt, which is almost the same thing he did in yeah. at the end of Cleanliness' Next to Impossible. So it's almost the same bit. Yeah. Uh, young Felix is played by an actor named Sean Manning, 
who has a very small number of credits. Uh, he was on the show Toma, which became Beretta after Tony Musante didn't want to be a TV star and left Tona. Toma, he was Toma's son, Jimmy. That's the only like other major role. I don't know anything else more about him. And at the end of the show, after Felix says he wants to bake bread, we see Oscar like going to hit Felix and it freezes right as he's hitting him. Now, I'm glad you could fill me in on that, Ted, because you know what happened to me when I watched this no. on Paramount Plus? No. Well, one of the features of the streaming services that I really don't like is the skipping ahead to the next episode before you're ready for the next episode, you know? How they like, you're watching the end and it's counting down like 10, 9, 8, 7. Yeah, but you could stop that. Well, I guess I need to figure out how to do that because it just it completely caught away before it was over. Well, I think the, the what you're watching goes down to the bottom corner. Yeah. And you should be able to click on it and it goes oh, back up. Yes, yeah. you click on the image. Okay. Yeah, click on so it. So I, I I think it cut away just before the baking bread line. Oh, wow. That's early. Yeah, because this is they think this is the end credits, I guess, because it's the tag, I guess. Oh, right. Uh that's it. That's the episode. Um, so my, yeah, this is a rather absurd episode. It's the most, well, maybe it's not the most, but it's a, it's a, it's a bit absurd, I guess, in that it's just a, it's a, it's a really out there plot that I don't even know how they got to. Um, but it's funny and it's in, in plenty of ways. It's amusing. I don't dislike it. It's enjoyable to watch. Um, it's funny to see them set in the twenties. Some of the bits are don't really work well, but some of them certainly do. Um, so I give it three out of five Murrays. It's enjoyable, but it's not something I would seek out if I was going to go do a odd couple watching and I just hadn't seen it in a while. Um, I pretty much agree that I, 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 especially on the positive side that uh, it is, I'd be kind of what I'm picking up of what you're saying is that it's better than it ought to be, given that the premise is in, in, is really ridiculous in a way. And, uh, and I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. And in fact, I would even give it a four, Murray's, oh, okay. but with a total caveat that this is kind of, is really absurd and not, this is almost like their sloppiest, if you let me use the word, their sloppiest episode in terms of, uh, well, as we saw, not totally in terms of consistency in the timeline, but uh, it's like they're, they've just like thrown all caution to the wind and let it be this ridiculous set of coincidences, right? I mean, that's what really is the coincidences that it's Oscar's father, Felix's father, that it's Elliot Ness and all that stuff. But they just decided, you know what, it would be fun to do a 1920s episode. It almost reminds me like how in Star Trek, to use one of your oh, favorite yeah. reference, right? That that episode always bothered me that for some reason they're in like <laughs> Al Capone, Chicago, right? Uh, yes, the the, the <laughs> the episode that's the the comedy episode version you're talking about. I just remember, isn't there a Star Trek where they end up kind yes. of in the same? Yeah, yeah, uh, it's one of my favorite episodes, and uh, my, the name of it escaped me because it's it's a it's a funny episode it's where they make right. up a fake card game, right? Um, <laughs> And so it has that kind of like abandon to it. It's just like, why not? This is very fashionable. And a piece of the fact, action. It's called it's a piece of the action. Oh, okay. Yes. And it's, our, it's interesting because I think in the early 70s, I mean, think about this, Ted. Isn't this wild that the 1920s were as far away from them as the odd couple, as the, this episode is from us? That's true. It's interesting. Yep. You're yeah. Right. So it wasn't that much the distance past to them. And it's kind of fashionable nostalgia, you know, for and a lot of the people were still alive, were alive or grew up during those days. Uh, so there's that kick to it. This is also when the sting comes out, right? Um, and uh, I think it's especially true for Tony Randall. And that, so yeah, the, I one of the reasons I, I really like this episode is what he does with this character of Morris Unger. Uh, he creates this whole distinctive character uh, for Felix's father, who we have not seen before, right? Not to be confused with Grandpa Unger, which are actually there are two Grandpa Ungers. Remember, Felix, uh, Tony Randall plays in a, in season one, they did a quick flashback with Felix and a grandfather who turns out to be not quite the same grandfather who shows up in Where's yes, Grandpa? Yes, right. The third time Tony Randall has played a, a, ancestor of felix 
But this is the one where he's like really, well, just like with Grandpa Unger in Where's Grandpa, he creates this incredibly specific character who you can believe is Felix's ancestor, but is a totally distinct and different character. Um, as opposed to Klugman, who is wonderful in his own way in this, but is basically doing like kind of a night, the nice guy Oscar Madison, I think, as Blinky. So, um, and but it, there's something personal here, and I uh, I just want to mention like in that last, uh, not the tag, but like in when they come back from the flashback. Did you notice that Felix says, and that's why we had our families had to leave Chicago. Yes. He says, you, Oscar, your family went to New York, which, by the way, matches up nicely with the Subway episode, where that's the first time, I think, where Oscar had said he lived in New York all his life. You, you remember that in the Subway episode? I do. Uh, even though, I guess that at that point, he forgot that he was in Chicago until the age of seven. Um, but notice that Felix says, and we moved to Oklahoma. Is that where, which, which is, of course, we have no indication that we had never had an indication that Felix Unger is from Oklahoma, but Tony Randall grew up in Oklahoma. And so it's amazing he let that kind of slip in there. The writers let, let him put that in there. Uh, and I just checked to see, like, you know, is Morris his real father's name? Because we know he used Leonard and Edna, his own name, Leonard, for the son, and uh, uh, his sister's name, Edna, for the daughter. And it turns out his father, his real father, Tony Randall's father's name was is listed as Moksha Rosenberg. Now, I've never seen the form of this name Moksha as it's spelled in Wikipedia at least, but it seems like it's a variant of Moses or Moisha, but close enough to Morris that I think it's also named after his father. So I like to think he might be doing even an impersonation of his, of his real life father, but whatever, whatever, whatever it is or not, it's this great caricature of like an overly formal 1920s uh proper citizen and that's 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 why i wanted to, i enjoyed playing that role in his honor he does seem very naive to not understand there are speakeasies <laughs> during prohibition though yes right he's a total square yeah um so oh you gave it a four okay four, well yeah uh, i sue i have you know i have a feeling we may get if we're going to get emails on this yeah. one it will yeah. be other people giving us their timeline analyses and if you want to, you can, you don't, we're not looking for it, but we will share anything that is uh, different than what we've shared here. All anything. engagement is good. To True. Um, social media age. Correct. I just don't want people to be uh, offended if they send us something and we don't share it on, on air. Um, but if there's something about the timeline that's really interesting that we haven't picked up on, we of course will, as we've done so in the past. Uh, so any feedback you have, can email us at 1049pod at gmail.com. Uh, and of course, we'd appreciate any good reviews on uh, iTunes. Garrett, you're a pip. I can't believe you walk in here and try to kill me without an appointment.